What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? I learned that policemen are my friends. I learned that justice never ends. I learned that murderers die for the crimes, even if we make a mistake sometime. And that's what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school. Greetings, everyone. Um, it's been a while. Um, hope you all had a good New Year. Um, Or try to. This is the tw- <laughs> this is the twenty first episode of Material Analysis, the podcast, and the first episode of the year two thousand twenty. Today's episode is going to be about propaganda. What it is. how do people think about it how does it affect political forces um the panel today has uh the panel today has comrade bella Yo. comrade dilip hey. comrade pinky and we have a new member with us comrade shuli uh, oh, no. comrade shuli was uh, actually introduced in one of the bonus content uh mm-hmm. pieces but uh, this would be her first proper episode and this is your host chandu um so uh, so bella why don't you start today uh, what are your thoughts about well i actually had some questions because i do think there are there are a lot of misconceptions about what constitutes propaganda it has a word with tremendously negative connotations right the idea that it is in fact a form of false information or fake news or misinformation of some sort uh, or distortions of truth uh, there's also also connotations about it being a kind of brainwashing or indoctrination um, which i don't know if if we all agree with this it is that or not so i thought first we sort of talk a little bit about how as left leftists we should actually think about what propaganda is the legacy of left propaganda and what it was intended to do um and and i'm i'm a little sketchy on this history myself i think some of you have a better knowledge about about where propaganda has emerged out of and what sort of legacy it's left behind with the left um but also to talk a little bit about right wing propaganda and how they have actually weaponized um their sort of spread of um, resources and information so um do you want to go comrade chandu okay let's talk a little bit about the history of propaganda what is often these days uh, sort of erased is the fact that a lot of political communication if not all political communication comes under at least small p propaganda if not capital p propaganda what mm. i mean is is that even if you go and say that you know um trees are good for the environment sure they are good for the environment but you are also doing propaganda because you have a sort of a Uh, vision of material reality which you want to achieve and you are trying to influence people to uh, do something to help you achieve that vision that is propaganda and interestingly enough at some point in the past people used to be aware of this in fact propaganda used to be a much more value neutral term in the 18th century than it is now in fact in the old times um, a lot of in lot lot of countries people were agitating for something called freedom of propaganda which is now called freedom of expression or right mm. to speech but obviously that is not true now as we all know that propaganda has been sort of um 
shamed and i would later come to the point of what kind of propaganda is shamed and what kind of propaganda is valorized but just this idea that you know the mood around propaganda has changed the people think of propaganda as something negative comrade shivli what do you have to say about that so i just did being the indefatigable nerd that i am i just did a google ngram search for propaganda itself because i think there's a certain propaganda around the word propaganda on the perception of propaganda right so uh, according to google the usage of propaganda as a term um, sort of spiked in the 1940s right um, mm. and we can all understand why so um, this recasting or rebranding of propaganda as inherently something a dishonest actor would do is fairly recent as as uh, comrade chandu points out um and i wonder what we can do with that like is it really our job to sort of you know make apparent that we're all constantly always already doing propaganda and rehabilitate this practice and normalize it or do we need to kind of um accept that okay this is how it is now some things i don't know arnab goshami yelling on tv is is very obviously propaganda and some things are not so obvious and contend with that uh, disjunction and my suspicion is that that disjunction has a lot to do with dominant ideology what i mean is is that certain things are very obviously propaganda but a lot of people think of them as normal certain things uh, which come out of what would you would call fringe politics are always going to be considered propaganda no matter how earnest they are uh, if the state does something especially in india you immediately uh see a lot of people think of it as you know as something like something written in a trivia book like that sort of thing it's as neutral as saying that jupiter has so and so moons but if if a thing is being talked about by some fringe outfit doesn't matter whether it's left wing right wing some sena somewhere or something like that people would immediately jump on it as propaganda so i think a large part of it is that we have to make people aware that it's not arnab goswami yelling at the screen which is propaganda it's also the fairly benign things or benign sounding things some bureaucrat in some ministry says which may be equally harmful which is also propaganda and i think the struggle is how do we get people to deal with that sort of dichotomy of good propaganda bad propaganda and sort of making people materialist in their politics which is what this pod attempts to do uh requires people to sort of shift shift that particular thing i'm i'm wondering what comrade pinky thinks about this right so when comrade shuli mentioned the disjunction and what we're supposed to do with that i guess one i mean there were two broad options that i saw one is that recognize that propaganda has become tainted and that the word has too much baggage so there's not much that we can do with that but the other is recognizing that there is a attention in how we perceive propaganda but to use that disjunction to our advantage by then claiming that uh you know this is propaganda that is good or this is propaganda that that works for us and then going with that uh, and this does make me think of questions of um of form and how does propaganda resonate right like good propaganda and bad propaganda have a lot to do with ideology and where it's coming from so you know we we might think that propaganda uh by the police is is bad propaganda and then propaganda uh from from leftists is good propaganda but also what are the 
ways in which we impute goodness and badness to the form itself um so uh, you know arnab goswami for example is like a theatrical kind of propaganda which might seem to us more innately kind of crude and bad faith but then ajit prop has also been theatrical and has that long tradition um so you know there might even be versions of that that we like uh and then there might be propaganda uh that is very dry and benign which is someone just reading out a list of like this is what we have achieved in the last 5 years since the elections and that might not be very effective as form if it's coming from uh the the fringe but it might actually be super effective if it's coming from the state right because they don't need it to be right. more exciting they just need to convince you uh and there was one other very smart and exciting example i had thought of but unfortunately i've completely forgotten it now but uh, i mean it is interesting to think in terms of how the the language that it's used in uh is uh, is is also going to induce a certain response uh and it's going to be in conversation with who it's coming from and the content as well so that's that interplay there i'm interested in i'm also interested in thinking of pedagogy and whether that is or is not propaganda because i've you know i've also been actually told while making my syllabus that if like a good syllabus is not supposed to be propaganda you're not supposed to be <laughs> 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 yeah that it, like you're supposed to it's supposed to be a provocation but not a propaganda uh, and and you know where is the line right like okay suppose yeah, i'm yeah, not yeah yeah like yeah, yeah, i disagree with that my syllabus description is not saying that uh, that i'm coming at it from a certain angle but if all the writers i include are say marxist or if all the writers are i i include are like you know very anti racist or afro pessimist or something like that like is there uh, an innate propaganda that that is there you know and 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 what do we do with these different forms of propaganda uh, and what what do we pick as useful for us and and when so can i offer uh, I, a provocation I, in this case um would advertising be considered propaganda i definitely would consider advertisement propaganda yes. however i would give the point of scale again no advertising department at least of no i mean these days that is changing because you have tech monopolies and all which have economies as much as certain small nations mm-hmm. but barring those outliers still no advertising department has the budget capacity a large political party or the state has so uh, i mean i would more... argue facebook could be the exception to that but okay yeah, yeah. let's i'll go That's with that I, that is the exception right okay that, right like the four or five tech monopolies which can beat the bjp in its game but aside from those but i have another like uh, i have several questions which come from comrade pinky's little disc i found find it very useful one thing i think is that when comrade pinky talks about good and bad propaganda there is like normatively good and bad and there is what is effective and what is not and yeah. i think that is of course something to keep in mind also the point about sometimes boring being good um well we can see a lot of that in the anti ca anti nrc protests these days when uh, the protesters have excellent points and we have talked about this in previous episodes why nrc is so dangerous and needs to be opposed and what's the whole deal with ca and we would ask our audience to again hear them there is a the thing a lot of the counter propaganda which the state is doing and the state is saying that no nrc is good ca is good a lot of the counter propaganda from the state on its surface looks very boring like mm-hmm. they have these explainers these list oh this is why nrc is good these are mm. chronological samjhiya aap this is what happens then this is what happens and that that is what happens but this seemingly boring propaganda is very effective at least 
among the aspirational classes which which the government targets like you may think that you know that only fire and brimstone would work on the polarizing issue like the nrc but like the boring shit works and yeah. this is where i would like to bring in comrade dilip that comrade dilip how does one like what is the interplay of emotions and propaganda when is emotion good when is boring good when is when is this appearance of rationality good and when is the appearance of vehemence good right so basically i think one fundamental point that i have always observed with propaganda is that propaganda always works in dichotomy okay it always has an us and a constructed other so for a propaganda to be effective there should always be people who are um you know the propagandist always tries to align the people into what he thinks and emotionally kind of in some way manipulates them into uh, making them feel that they are part of something a, a mass movement or as an individual he belongs to a particular set of ideas ideology or a community so this is one thing that i think is very important let's in 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 the case of you know uh, case of caa and nrc that we are talking about the way that it has worked or the way that a lot of propaganda uh, similar to this has worked is that not that let's say as a population we are uh, making informed choices or we are thinking about let's say we want to have an nrc we want to have an npr or caa and then we go vote on these platforms and they implement it but it worked really the other way around the state makes the policies the state makes these kind of draconian and drastic uh, policies and then through propaganda it has actually manipulated people a large section of people into believing that it is what they actually want it's not an informed choice that people made in a democracy that created these platforms for policies but rather from top down uh, the propagandists who are at the topmost echelon of government and the state trying to push it down the throat of people through propaganda and to say that okay this is what actually you guys want this is what you want right so it doesn't work without a prejudice that is existing in society right so mm. and naturally islamophobic naturally the kind of prejudices and the national myths that we have created over decades or even over centuries that is what is being psychologically manipulated here to actually enforce these kind of policies and one important thing that we have to consider when we always talk about propaganda is the modern tool of propaganda the modern tool of propaganda is the mass media okay mm-hmm. and the the in the way that i i think the uh, the the mass media works is that not just like you know it's straight up propaganda in the first place because the first question that we need to ask is who owns the mass media right so mm-hmm. if you actually take the ownership of mass media not just these conservative crazy you know like jingoistic outlets that are owned by uh, the the uh, billionaires but also what we seemingly understand as liberal outfits or who actually oppose yes. the, the other end of the spectrum is also controlled yes. by the same set of billionaires so what you get as propaganda is like the control of uh, the finest form of control of the spectrum of opinions in my opinion mm. so it's not just like you have a jingoist yelling at you and saying that oh you know this is what ca is about this is what the nrc is about but actually the guy who is create, uh, creating dissent or the flack against this jingoism is also kind of you know fine tuned and manipulated to stay within the spectrum so that the thing that they want the state wants is actually uh, smoothly moves on there, there are certain things we would like our audience to recollect from last few episodes uh, we have talked a bit about what comrade dilip was talking about in the past where we described 
the times now mirror now model wherein you have these two supposedly different kind of channels one supposedly conservative one supposedly liberal ish uh, controlled by the same capital like essentially the same owner um, and giving this illusion of dissent which is uh, which feeds into what comrade dilip calls the fine tune control the controlling the range of acceptable political discourse and mm-hmm. another example which we have also talked in the past is of telegraph so a lot of indian Uh, liberals and even few leftists think telegraph is an incredibly um uh, radical newspaper but it's not really and we have talked in the past in fact comrade pramod uh, who is not with us today he has in 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 the second episode of material analysis talked about how uh, the ownership structure like it's owned by uh, abp group which is the anand bazar patrika group which is a very right wing group in bengal and how the telegraph how that group has been you know through its uh, tv programs been instrumental in making a certain kind of political reality normal and how essentially the telegraph is the mirror image of that and tries to portray itself as this radical all questioning newspaper but essentially it's all part of the same game the people should read antonio gramsci who was an italian marxist who fought against uh, the italian fascists and was thrown into a, a dungeon where he died and before he died he wrote these diaries called the prison diaries which give a very interesting idea of how uh, propaganda operates which he calls the uh, the uh, war of position and and contrasts it with the war of maneuver so war of maneuver is you maneuvering within the accepted reality and you trying to snatch power from the other side but war of position is that the very shape of that accepted reality is something propaganda helps construct and so the rules you are the rules of the game essentially what you can do what you cannot do is something propaganda has already uh, constructed and you need to fight that with counter propaganda if you want to have any chance of changing how reality operates Uh, somebody asked about advertisement right is advertisement propaganda so mm-hmm. i think like directly the content of advertisement might or might not be propaganda but like imagine that the power of giving advertisement to media establishments and the power of not giving advertisements to media establishments so like deciding on what they print and what they don't print by the by remotely having the power of capital to actually you know like let the media organizations organizations survive or die is actually like an effective form of uh, you know controlling information as well can i just add what now i remember what i wanted to say which was that when you were talking about the mass media as a tool of the propaganda i was very much reminded of chomsky and um, herman oh god i forgot what his surname was uh, manufacturing of consent right so propaganda yes, as herman, yeah. yes so the pro- one of the things that he points out is as much as these organizations might be distinctly owned may not be or may not even have distinct connections amongst themselves as much as we imagine that propaganda has a sort of central unified authority driving it um, very often class interests are what are also guiding the manufacturing of consent advertising is one way in which for instance the the, the big billionaire class is actually able to um, control what becomes news 
jobs right and how newspapers stay profitable um so there is there is there are cycles and loops through which class interests actually and in india I'd argue caste interests um for instance with the the uh, sort of corollary to the te- telegraph in bengal would probably be the hindu in tamil nadu right it's it's owned by sort of brahmin conservative iyengar group um and they're they're very status quoist in a lot of their positions even though they have this illusion of being a very liberal um uh, liberal mouthpiece and so on so i think um uh, understanding that sort of caste class interests combined with capital are often very much pushing uh common sense ideas um are are i think somewhat important to note which is why propaganda is also successful because it gives the illusion of we are all you know um uh, we are all sort of receiving this message from a very sort of common sense authority so of course if the government and the newspapers and the capitalists are all on the same side how can we how can they possibly be all be lying and i think that is mm. something we need to be aware of how can they all be lying one of the biggest examples in indian case is that most indians still think that they are the quote unquote good guys where kashmir is concerned we have talked about it in the past episode right like yes. most indians genuinely think yeah, that uh, that you know that uh, that we are the protagonists pakistan is the antagonist and and if if at all some people in kashmir want separation they are either evil people or they are or they are foolish, foolish. whereas mm-hmm. the reality is is that most kashmiris want azadi and when they say azadi they don't mean in the sense kanaiya kumar means says when he says that azad desh mein azadi what they mean is separation from india most kashmiris want that mm-hmm. but it's very interesting that over the years uh, congressite propaganda has basically convinced all indians that uh, not only were kashmiris uh, willing to be a part of india they were grateful to be so and anybody who says otherwise has some evil intentions is probably paid by pakistan etc uh, etc et um and it's it's very interesting that now you have bjp sort of using the same tools which were once used in kashmir in rest of the country and making people think that that is normal so the things which are happening in up etc but the tools to do that kind of mass hallucination it was perfected by the indian state long before bjp was a thing um yeah uh, uh, yeah but the thing is what do you think? Uh, comrade chandu there is no one no political demographic that does not think that it is in fact the good guys even isis thinks that they are doing you know like allah's work on earth right so i th- that's my question i mean a corollary to that is no i mean no one who's doing small p propaganda by internalizing big p propaganda perhaps no one thinks of themselves as a propagandist right and yet if you are uncritically sort of reproducing and disseminating the you know like this normalized kind of like political discourse then i mean i suppose all of us are in agreement that you do become a sort of um, instrument of those uh, powerful interests right the question is what do you then do with that i mean how do you convince indian people who think that they are you know like middle class good people that they are perhaps upholding structures of oppression how do you convince them that your sharing of this whatsapp thing is you're doing the work of the it cell for them right i mean where is this line between you know personal agency and what they think they genuinely believe independently as rational ordinary folk and what you have kind of been educated into understanding is the is normal and rational um if i could respond to that i also think that there is perhaps a slight difference between people who are merely repeating what they have 
what they have received as truth and common sense and then they just keep saying it and then people who see themselves as uh, sort of in a bit of a gatekeeping role or or at least they feel like they have some power to put out a narrative so they're protecting uh, the country or whatever it is that they're trying to protect and it, they're not less sincere but they are perhaps a little more aware of their own agency so you know people who are actually involved in the IT cell are in a different position from the aunties and uncles on WhatsApp who are just forwarding what they receive or right. uh, people right. who are part of the news you know the the newsrooms who are putting things out there they probably think that there's a duty to the country that they're fulfilling and then people who are consuming that in their living rooms and repeating that elsewhere are also in a different role so uh, there and, and I think that maybe the ones who are perhaps most honest about propaganda are political groups who feel yes. like they have to actually organize and sort of increase uh you know participation and things like that um so yeah i mean i guess the self-consciousness there does make a difference i was also thinking that what makes something propaganda so say, suppose there's a media house and that and they're not kind of they're not like on of goshami level right they're they're they think they see themselves as fairly kind of middle ground neutral uh liberalish and uh, and and I was thinking of you know what makes what makes that fine tuning that uh, Kamran Dilip said uh, propaganda if it's not very overt like if people are not screaming if there's not much you know sloganeering going on and um, and I'm thinking like repetition has a lot to do with propaganda too like the more the more and more you keep saying something there's something about messaging that seems to be at the heart of propaganda and I think that's where. Um, that's where even those who are not that conscious of doing propaganda are perhaps doing the work of propaganda because that repetition, you know, the fact that they'll say it in every drawing room discussion, the fact that uh, there there is this like banality in that uh, that constant like hammering home, uh, that I think starts blurring the line between the agential mouthpieces and then the ones who are a little more uh, unaware of of actually playing that role. I think uh, there is repetition and there is also decoration and polish. So mm -hmm. I'll give aesthetics. you an example which I was... Aesthetics. So do you guys remember Pallavi Joshi? Haan, she was the co-host of the Antakshari Wala program. And then she did the shady no, no, video no, no, for no, Modi. Not just that. Not just that. We are shady propaganda models. video. I know. Yeah, yeah. None of that. Oh, yes. I remember. I remember. I remember. I am not talking about that. I am not talking about that. That is. You asked us if we remembered. So we remember. Are you talking about the Rafael deal video that he made? That he made. Oh, God. No, no, no. None of that is good propaganda. I'll tell you what is really, really awesome. Like diamond class propaganda. Tell us. So, Pallavi Joshi, when she was younger, she was like one of the key. Uh, stars of this television series, which was about naval officers. So it was about young naval ca cadets. It was a one of the very polished series which used to come in DD, and every North Indian kid used to watch it. That so, series gave us Madhavan, which is another terrible thing. So just go on. <laughs> uh, you know which series I am talking about, right? Arohan. Like, Arohan. Yes. Arohan. All a lot of. A lot of aspirational lower middle class people grew up, uh, you know, like uh, a lot of my uh, friends who come from very poor families who are either first generation literate or whose parents were first generation literate. Um, and at that time, they only had DD to see. And they saw these, you know, shiny figures in uniforms walking around, 
speaking in polished hindi and english saluting each other uh, and that was something they could aspire to that that was greatness and it was shown that greatness is possible for the normal person and 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 the and the programming of secular nationalism that's how it it was done in that era and and here is the funny thing you know everybody associates that टेरिबल लाइन जवान बॉर्डर पे मर रहे हैं विद बीजेपी लाइक कुनाल कामरा मेड होल जोक आउट ऑफ इट की सरहद पे जवान मर रहे हैं हा 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 इट वाज एक्चुअली समथिंग द फर्स्ट टाइम दैट लाइन अपीयर्ड इन टेलीविजन मीडिया वाज व्हेन पल्लवी जोशी सेड इट इन अ वेरी सिंसियर कॉन्टेक्स्ट इन वन एपिसोड ऑफ आरोहन सो आई इवन रिमेंबर एग्जैक्टली व्हेन सो पल्लवी जोशी वांट्स टू जॉइन द नेवी और द आर्मी और समथिंग आई थिंक इट वाज अ नेवी uh or the naval air force or something and somebody mocks her for it and says she is a weak woman how could she even think of joining the forces and she says don't you feel ashamed wasting your life hamare jawan border pe mar rahe hain right and that right. is where it clicks like that is a very big hook for a huge part of the population people see that and they are like this is what i aspire to be so it's not at all surprising that like a generation later you have a population of uh, you have an entire population which blindly worships the forces no Something and everyone is saying have... that like when you said that for example it's almost hard to think that there is an origin story there because i i kind of grew up hearing it as though this was universal and had always existed since the beginning yeah, of the time but nothing is universal right always nothing exists yeah. like of course there must be some point at which somebody made a catchphrase and something and i, I don't know perhaps somebody made that catchphrase jawan border pe mar rahe before pallavi joshi used it such something i remember but what i do remember is that the cultural force which arohan was and in and this was on, if i'm if i'm getting it right this was on doordarshan and doordarshan had yes, a slew yes, a slew of programs that functioned as propaganda right like i mean they're advertising right. like mile sur mera tumhara and baje sargam har taraf se these were dd propaganda for national integration so i feel like yes. doordarshan's entire existence is, is actually kind of interesting in in looking at what the state agenda was and how they believed the right messaging would end up integrating india despite the fact that this was actually at the height of the ram janmabhoomi movement right this was the late 80s basically so it's it's worth it's worth thinking about that too so the the thing that you guys were talking about war and uh, like um, you know believing the troops and so on and so forth right so one of the really interesting journalists that i have really liked uh, over, over the years is richard semo he wrote a memoir that came out like last year or the year before so he, he so richard semo is the guy who like uh, you know who broke open the story of my life massacre during vietnam war and then he actually unearthed the abu garib uh, you know um, um, um uh, torture stories and so on and so forth so during the uh, vietnam war like it was the height of you know like the government propaganda in making people in us believe that you know we are fighting for freedom democracy and so on and so forth right so one of the lines that actually really captures the whole thing uh, i thought um so one of the journalists from new york times i think uh, he was interviewed by uh, other journalists and other people uh, asking about you know like what was your experience covering war and so on and so forth so what do you actually what do you actually think about the war like what do you what, do you see as winning or what do you actually what's your opinion on the war and then he said like you know i have no opinions on the war i am just an objective journalist and i just report the facts and then saimo writes that of course not he believes in the war and he reports passionately and he, it's it's a known secret that he completely supports the war so whenever you kind of you know 
when you support the war when you support support the troops and when you support all these sorts of military stuffs you become like an objective normal person who is just uh, seeing it as it is and when you are somebody who is like against the stream of public opinion that has been constructed through propaganda you immediately become the sort of activist or urban nexel or urban whatever the uh, thing it is so i mean has hasn't our very respected dr gobel said the very no, no, it was gobel it was goring right who said it in yeah, like the yeah, yeah. yeah the, the quote that, on pacifist was by herman goring yes yeah so the goring basically said the same thing right that um like it doesn't matter what form of government it is whether it's a democracy or a fascist government or a communist government war is pretty much like something no civilian ever really wants and it's the same same drama you have to do to get everybody to support it and you basically tell everybody who listen to you that people supporting the war are normal you know neutral people and the people who are opposing it are traitors they are cowards they are backstabbers they don't love their country and that's how you get people to support a war otherwise who would even want war like what does the common person gain from any war so I, we have seen this many many times in uh, india but uh like there was a point which comrade pramod made in uh, an earlier episode which was that even what is normal in war propaganda has changed so even like a border which was an open propaganda war film a pro war propaganda film which showed the indian soldiers as heroically kicking pakistani soldiers asses that movie ends on an anti war note mere dushman mere bhai with the song wherein the indian soldiers are sad that there are so many people dead and there are poor people dying on both sides of the border and all sorts of sentimental stuff and now that is something you would not see if you have seen any of the contemporary war movies so yes sure we have had continuous reactionary propaganda since we became a country but again you can't compare like milk toast national list propaganda which used to be there and like what is happening right now so that is something to keep in mind but right. it yeah okay it kind of the, what's happening right now also builds upon what has been said before you know like even no, though it is no, distinctly no, no. different but the thing has to exist in the space so it cannot be created out of vacuum but i just want to go back to pinky's point that is like what actually is effective you know uh, leftist propaganda i just want to say one thing before i uh, let others speak the thing is that i personally believe that people the propaganda is an effective tool to actually you know uh, make an individual sense of the world that is actually living in so he sees all these sorts of you know either it can be injustice or it can be literally incidents happening all around it's mm-hmm. something that he wants to understand and he wants to perceive and propaganda is an effective tool that actually like it can be either like his house being foreclosed and then you immediately blame on like that's because the you know the immigrants are moving in and so on and so forth and all the jobs uh, job losses are directly correlated to you know like like the immigrants taking over and so on and so forth so for essentially a propaganda in a leftist frame to work in my opinion one of the important thing that we have to construct over and over again repetitively is the other that we are trying to build we are going to construct an us that includes like diverse coalition of working classes all around but we are going to also construct effectively who the others are and to make people understand believe and completely be on the side of you know like uh, if you are going to be effective propagandists you are going to construct an effective evil devilish other there is no other way 
actually I think this is why Bernie Sanders 1% has been so successful because exactly. he just always keeps like you know it's always the 1% the 1% and I think that it has and a lot of people who work for Bernie Sanders forget that they are also part of the 1% like statistically speaking like, <laughs> one per- like we are we are all here part of the 0.1% on the podcast board I think yeah yeah but, but it's still successful because exactly because in that moment like that 1% becomes your other even if you are actually part of it so you can join the campaign speaking yeah, to the other yeah. thing that Comrade Dilip just said um i i think you're kind of uh, let's let's not conflate propaganda and ideology though even though they are in a sort of symbiotic relationship right propaganda very clearly is the the vessel or the medium literally the medium for ideology so mm. it's another question and i throw it open to the panel whether propaganda creates ideology or vice versa but um i i i obviously i, I think that you need to think of propaganda as like as like discursive acts specifically and not like things that are in your head so even though it does like reinforce things that may already be in your head so yeah so so i i very much agree with that comrade shivli uh, i would like even go further and say please don't drink your own kool-aid as in <laughs> like i have seen this a lot in indian uh, progressive and leftist peer of people who use strategically useful discursive acts confuse them with ideological frames and then agree to the whole thing without realizing that that was supposed to be propaganda like mm-hmm. so much we are seeing it like for example authenticity discourse right. these days right something is right because it's authentic because your uh, because your lived experience your standpoint told you it's not true it's it's a discourse it's it's a rhetorical device you are not supposed to actually believe that like especially if you are a leftist it's it's not how real identity politics work which is a much more sophisticated thing than this vulgar essentialist nonsense but a lot of people who take part in that believe it and now thanks to that we have the which comrade pramod would have talked about more had he been here but we have this whole problem of uh, liberals in india legitimizing and and a literal ethno nationalist movement in the northeast which actually wants the nrc why because they happen to live there it's their original uh, authentic existence and hence what they say goes of course it so doesn't work like add, that it- i would add something which is that i think propaganda cannot even the best propaganda ultimately cannot do the work of analysis for you so i think mm-hmm. that anybody who wants to be a responsible political actor and who actually wants to participate in discourse at at a somewhat more sophisticated level than just going out and you know putting yourself out there in protests and things like that anybody who actually wants to contribute usefully to discourse will have to do the work of of reading and thinking and actually engaging in analysis and i think that if you are a good and responsible thinker you will ultimately stumble upon some of these uh, contradictions or inconsistencies rather and bad faith arguments and you'll be forced to unpack so you know i mean i not everybody in the pod is as suspicious of standpoint as comrade chandu perhaps but a lot of <laughs> and i would sorry i was going to just we can differentiate between what good versions and bad versions of that look like right so and, and i i, I will give you an example of that which is yeah. you know the dalit panther movement which actually came with a very foundational disagreement with marxist politics as it was being practiced in mumbai at the time in bombay at the time right um and dalit panther propaganda is actually prolific the way in which they imagined themselves borrowing from the black panther movement in the us the way ways in which they imagine themselves organizing around the symbol of the 
panther and of course it's a heavily masculine symbol um and the way in which they mobilized ambedkarite iconography ambedkarite pamphleteering the use of marathi language poetry right um some of the most famous poets in marathi who were uh, who were dalit came from the dalit panther movement um and you're looking at ways in which the the schism between ambedkarites and leftists in mumbai actually was made effective through the ways in which dalit panthers communicated their grouses with, with and the it wasn't movement. just about rhetorical virtue signaling it was like, not yeah. it was based upon, it was very much based in fact on the fact that leftists were hesitant to completely critique hindu uh, hindu resurgence particularly against the shiv sena right so there's all sorts of histories there but they were very effective in mobilizing that resentment and rage um and in many ways that schism has a long lasting legacy i mean it's still not disappeared so i think there are ways in which the so called the, the so called dismissal of identity politics as essentialist um actually can sometimes be very careless in the way that it understands resistance to left movements also and i think there is there is good examples of propaganda from that um the points that have been made today is that propaganda is not necessarily uh evil to put a like like you have to understand that it comes from a context and that most political communication is propaganda at the end of the day and if somebody is loudly insisting otherwise that what they are saying is not propaganda and what their opponents are saying is propaganda then you should be suspicious of them especially if coincidentally what they keep saying happens to agree with the dominant ideology so especially keep in keep this in mind when you are thinking of capitalism right wherein all um, socialist structures become structures which are created and hence things which can fail but capitalist structures like markets are considered to be organic natural developments which is by the way absolutely not true the second thing which uh, comrade shivli made very clear was that um, there is a tension a lot of people think that propaganda is quote unquote bad how do you deal with it do you, do you like fight against that concept that you know your propaganda could be valid or do you like cynically use it do you say that oh it's not my propaganda which is bad it's their propaganda which is bad so which one do which road do you do, do you try to rehabilitate it or do you try to make your thing the new normal um in both cases i would say that you are still doing a thing like again like you shouldn't you shouldn't at least fool yourself into thinking that you are without propaganda um comrade uh, dilip makes a very interesting point on on the mass media wherein he says that the mass media essentially controls the range of acceptable politics and you have to be very careful and and as comrade uh, bella adds into that you have to be very careful about who owns the mass media and hence it's not just the uh, yelling types like arnab goswami which is propaganda it's also the so called dissenting voices and as comrade pinky says in many different ways um, you have to sort of um be like you have to be aware of like how how like common place things become propaganda like through repetition or or through like we discussed through aesthetics or or through a certain history or like comrade uh, dilip once mentioned through the through the use of like the natural otherizations through the use of bigotries which exists in a culture etc yeah yeah no that was really it and, and obviously i think we're talking about the sort of network of things right we were talking about uh, institutions and the power uh, to disseminate propaganda we were talking about levels of self consciousness whether you're aware that you're using and disseminating propaganda we were talking about the the good propaganda good in terms of morally responsible or ethically responsible but also effective and we we're also talking about 
uh, the interplay of sort of aesthetics and content in that sense. And the fact that, uh, you know, who you are, what position you occupy will also affect in some ways the the form and the register that you choose. Uh, and, and so I think we kind of ended up talking a little bit about what uh, left propaganda could look like but since we didn't get to discuss it in great detail um, we would invite audience engagement on that if people want to leave comments talking about you know what their vision of good left propaganda might look like uh, we would be excited to hear that I suppose if we're I mean if we're in the habit of le- of giving advice to our listeners I, I guess summarizing the our advice basically is be be skeptical and uh, and and yeah, and don't think that you are exempt from uh, from being participants in like the discursive propaganda that's happening all around you all the time anyway. So at least be self-aware of that and be skeptical of things you hear. There's a thing I tell my students all the time, like everything around you is making some claim explicitly or implicitly, you know? Everything yeah. around you is telling you that something is true and something is good and something is normal. So identify those claims. Like it used to be, and it still is, like a uh, propaganda model, top top down propaganda model, where like you know, like chief propagandists, like let's say these uh, Sadhguru or like in Tamil, I know few people who kind of you know talk down to you, say uh, educating you how to actually think about stuffs, you know, like uh, people yelling at you and saying like you know, do you see that? Do you see these? Uh, you know, like uh, people coming at you or like it's you can take numerous examples and then them actually being at the place of you know like tutors or these like uh, gurus and then telling you what to actually think and how to actually mold your thought process that used to be the case and that still is a dominant form of propaganda but we shouldn't miss what is happening recently and where it is really subtle and it's it's really pervasive that is it comes to you in your in your uh, whatsapp messages the you know you are forced to live inside a reality which may or may not be true but you have really the micro realities are being constructed through propaganda at this point right now. If we as leftists have to counter it, then we have to really think about not just, you know, like uh, believing in a leader or a messiah who will counter the propaganda, but also in believing in creating networks and structures that can actually take on these. And my last thoughts are that, you know, just speaking personally, my own turn towards coming back to reading Marx and Gramsci were actually ending up in a protest in Karnataka where people were distributing, you know, pamphlets of Gramsci in Kannada um, and linking it to what they were actually protesting, which was uh, the rise of Modi and Hindu to, to a great extent, but also talking about the common sense, right? Gramsci talks about the making of common sense and they were basically peddling this idea that Hindutva was creating a new common sense which is not true and it was a very profound moment for me to realize that you know the regional languages regional groups are reading widely there is an internationalist um, consciousness to this and it was almost instant in the way in which I suddenly realized that I might be heading in the leftist towards the direction of leftist politics and I think we as much as WhatsApp is weaponizing um, the use of personal messaging making the political personal I think uh, left left propaganda has an opportunity to also make similar inroads if you are able to reach out to the right spaces and the right networks so I think that is what we need to invest our time and energy on and put for, I think there's a kind of space for everyday politics that is opening up with you know as Dilip was saying right like the yes. The, the the sort of benign or or the sort of diffuse nature of, of propaganda and yes. things like that it is also it, it also means that uh, what our politics will look like will also have to kind of create a new common sense in that sense so yes yes changing yeah. the common sense yeah okay uh, I, I have some final thoughts uh, two final thoughts one is that 
you know when you think of the past and you think of propaganda and you think of for example the erstwhile soviet union you think of these big posters and you think of very you know very soviet propaganda like that very specific kind of music in agit prop and glorious workers etc etc but nobody thinks of like that the fact that american propaganda was so much more why because it was always hollywood doing it it was walt disney mm-hmm. doing it you didn't need the state to tell them go do it they just did it and i think that is the hallmark of the best kind of propaganda that you get other people to do your propaganda for you and they don't even realize they are doing your propaganda for you how do you franchise propaganda is something that the left really needs to think about no the second point i was going to make was that uh, this is something that comes from my personal experience at uh, ground level work um, over the last few months i have been have done pamphleteering i've been doing a few things here and there what i realized a large mass of people for any given topic are ignorant or neutral there is always scope for doing good propaganda if you want to do propaganda if you want to take a message and distribute it there will always be people don't think that you know the right wing is winning and they have all the things and all you have is well you you as a person just take a sheaf of papers print them out from a printer just publish like i i was doing like anti nrc propaganda so i just printed what was wrong with nrc just wrote a few points took like a hundred printouts go went from like you know like door of uh, gated community to door of gated community bunch of uncles sitting in a ground gave them a few papers started to talk with them ultimately sometimes the good old fashioned pamphleteering or the good old fashion you know just ground work is surprisingly it works and i would just like to just end on a hopeful note that you know you can be you can be a propagandist too you you individual you can you can do it too so yeah <laughs> so on that note let's end the episode goodbye bye 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 this bye, episode guys. was propaganda <laughs> <laughs> we should have said that <laughs>